Revelation chapter 5, if you'll open your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at vindication this morning. Vindication. And not a vindication like you might think, but man, stories of vindication are so powerful. I, I read recently about a guy named Warren, his wife Maureen, last name Nigerus. He was a cop who was retiring And he took his retirement and he bought a house in Florida. And he was able to to buy this retirement home, 2,700 square foot home for cash. And so you can imagine his surprise when about a year later, Bank of America files a lien against his house and starts with foreclosure proceedings on a house that the man owns outright. So he picks up the phone, he calls Bank of America, he thinks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just clear this up over the phone. No dice, man, they're not even having it. On a house that he owns outright, never, never had a, a mortgage with them, but yet two years of legal process ensues for this man to, to get Bank of America to, to quit with their foreclosure proceedings. And so he has to lawyer up, has to go through all of the court battle and so on. And after two years, he's finally victorious. And so not only is he victorious, but the the judge awards him damages for the legal expenses he had to pay. And so uh, he talks to Bank of America and says, you owe me $2,500. And they say, no. So he has to lawyer up again to get the money that they have, have uh, owe him. And so, again, he prevails in court, <clears throat> and they give him what's called a writ of execution. Now, a writ of execution is everything you hope it will be when you are Warren Nigris. You It basically says that if you don't pay up, then I get to go to your bank, and all your furniture is mine, all the cash in your cash drawer is mine, it's all mine. So, so he shows up, he takes a couple of cop, uh, sheriff's deputies, go with him. He takes a moving truck, and the, sh- the cop goes walking into the local Bank of America branch, and he says, okay, you got two options. He says, you can pay this man $2,500, or you and all your employees can get out, because he gets everything. So this, 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 <laughs> this branch, man, aren't you, you're like, Yes! Yes, stick it to him, man. And so this guy goes and, and he's frantically on the phone trying to call his superiors like, what should I do? And of course, at the end of the day, he realizes we're just going to write the man a check. So Warren is victorious. Now, why do I love this story so much? Vindication. Vindication, man. And, and interestingly, this, this, this term, vindication, it comes from Roman law. And, and what happened when a Roman citizen acquired property in a lawful way, then he was awarded what was known as a right of vindication, which is essentially the title deed. But if a non-citizen took possession of that property, then vindication was lost. Why? Well, because you had to be a citizen to own property. Well, today what we're going to see is Jesus is awarded his right of vindication as he takes the title deed of the earth. 
The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Jesus owns it all. Every desk in that bank, every cash in it, all the cash store, it's all his. And, and so what happens, though, is that we're going to see that, that Satan has interfered with this. Satan has no right of vindication, and so he's about to be evicted. Revelation chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 1. John says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven Seals. John now is in the throne room of God. We saw this in Revelation chapter 4 where God calls John up. It's a picture of the rapture of the church. And there in the throne room of God, John is seeing all the spectacular, amazing sights of the throne of God. And the worshiping that's taking place there. And now he describes in the right hand of God sitting on the throne is a scroll. And then I saw, he says in verse 2, a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so, John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And so here in the Father's right hand, John sees a scroll that bears all the earmarkings of a title deed of this time, this day and age. Uh, Typically, a title deed was written on a scroll. All the contents there were written down, and the deed would then be rolled up, the scroll rolled up. And then now that exposes the backside of the deed, and on the backside would be written the, just basically the contents, what is inside this scroll. It was a title, it was written there. And then what would happen is they would put a seal on this scroll. They would seal it up. Now, this is important. A seal is the authentic, authentication that the deed is true. And what you would do typically in, in Roman law is that the seal would go on that deed and then it would go, accompanying with it would be a signature. And the, the, the more seals that you had on a scroll would provide that much more authentication. Now, this is, uh, again, this is important because the greatest authentication that we have of Scripture is fulfilled prophecy. The Lord says in the Bible at one point, he says, look, who else is going to tell you what he's going to do from the very beginning?" he's a nobody. And basically what he goes on to say is, look, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you up front, and then I'm going to do it. And that is going to be an authentication of, look, I am who I say I am, because I know the end from the beginning. So it serves for us as, a, as an authentication. And so the, what follows, we're going to see, is that these seven seals are broken And God begins this process of punishing and evicting Satan. Now, that's very important. We need to keep that in mind. My my wife's father told me a story one time about a guy he worked with. And uh, 
this man married and he struggling to save for money money to buy a house and he buys this house and it's and it's you know it's dilapidated it's run down but it's his and he then proceeds to work on it every chance he gets he's in the construction industry he's gifted as, as you know a carpenter and so working on the house every waking moment and just pouring into this thing. And he turns what is a piece of junk into this this awesome little house. Well, then at some point, some guy started to come on to this guy's wife and she ran off with him. And in the divorce proceedings, she got his house. And he told my father-in-law that he would occasionally drive by his house, just to, to, to look and to, just to remember. And he said one day he drove by there, and there's the guy that stole his wife sitting on his wraparound porch, having a glass of lemonade with his wife, and he said it was just more than he could handle. This is just wrong. And that is what's going on here. As the seals are broken, God is saying, look, Satan, this isn't yours, and I'm going to evict you. And as we're going to see the breaking of the seals and the unfolding of the deed, this is going to take us from chapter 6 through chapter 19. As this scroll opens, the entire tribulation period is going to unfold, and it ultimately leads to the earth being returned to its rightful owner, Jesus Christ. And the tribulation begins, we're going to see, with three sets of seven. And what follows for what I'm going to give you now is just sort of an overview. I'm a, I'm a guy that when I'm reading something, I kind of want to know where it fits. I want the 30,000-foot view, the you are here kind of thing. So, so just as sort of that 30,000-foot view of this book and sort of where we're at and where we're going, what, what we're going to see as the tribulation begins, the church having been raptured, beginning in the next chapter, we're going to see three sets of seven. We're going to see seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And, and these three sets of seven, they make up the entire tribulation period. And they're all contained here in the scroll that the Father has in his hand that we read about that Jesus takes that, that, that title deed. Now, what happens then is the first six seals of that title deed, they come off in order. And then there's a pause And then the seventh seal is broken. And this reveals the contents of the deed, and this begins the next set of seven. The next set of seven that will follow that is the seven trumpets. And so, again, the first six trumpets, they go in order, and then there's another pause. Uh, And then, within the seventh trumpet, is another set of seven. This is the seven bowl judgments. And so the, the final seven bowl judgments and all of these other things that take place, this, the, the seals and, and the trumpets and all, this is a seven-year process. This is the seven years of tribulation. And the clock starts ticking when the church is raptured to heaven. That's when the clock starts ticking on that, seventh, uh, on, on that seven-year tribulation. Now, all of these judgments start coming in Revelation chapter 6, but here in Revelation chapter 5, you got to get that picture. Because what's going on in Revelation chapter 5 is, is just celebration and joy. 
This, in Revelation chapter 5, is the equivalent of what Gerald Ford said when he took over the presidency after the Watergate fiasco. He said, our, 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 our long national nightmare is over. And this is what Revelation chapter 5 is. It's the long national nightmare of driving by your house and seeing some guy who stole your wife, stole your wife sitting on the porch with her. This is what's going on, is that Satan here... In this earth, like he owns it, but Revelation chapter 5 is, guess what? Your eviction is coming because the owner just took the title deed of the house and your days are marked. And so that's the heart of what's going on here. It's that sweet vindication. Now, the vindication, again, it's not in a contemporary sense. It's not where you're proven right. It's not where your name has been cleared. It's not vindicated like an accusation against you has been cleared. We think of vindication today in those terms. No, this is the vindication of this massive wrong being righted. A massive wrong that is being righted. In Genesis chapter 1, God gave the earth to man. And in giving the earth to mankind, here's what he said to Adam. He said, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing. God intended for this world to be one that we enjoyed, one that we had dominion over. He made it for us to be just this beautiful place. And so as you read through Genesis, up until Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve did that. But then all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan shows up. And when Satan shows up, Adam and Eve believe his lies, and they disobey God, and sin enters into the world. And from that moment on, what happens is Satan, having moved into the world that God created for man, well, listen, God's creation, again, meant to worship, meant to serve God, its creator, but now... According to Romans 8.21, it's in bondage to Satan's corruption. That's the world that we live in. We're in bondage to Satan's corruption. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like Cinderella. You think of the story of Cinderella, and in the beginning of the story, she's enjoying her father's house. She's enjoying the world that her father created for her. It's a wonderful world. Her, 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 her experience is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the wicked stepmother enters the picture. And <clears throat> the father dies, and the wicked stepmother uh, comes in now, and she makes Cinderella's life a living hell. Treats her horribly, puts her into bondage, and once peaceful, once happy in her home, now in bondage to this wicked stepwoman. Now, well, that's exactly... What the Bible says happened to mankind. If you read Romans chapter 5, it says that sin entered the world. It brought with it death, and this, this death spread to all men. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that Satan's exclusive agenda now is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And every single one of us here has experienced that to a varying degree. You have been ripped off by Satan. So have I. And, and when Satan rips us off, we are left in a place, guilt, shame, all of that. But there's also that huge component that basically says, this is not fair. Now, when I was growing up, from time to time, I would complain to my mom and dad. That's not fair. 
And, and if your parents were anything like my parents, what did they say to you? Life's not fair. Suck it up, buttercup. It's just, it's not fair. But what happens is we go through that and we feel, we have within us this sense that says, this is not fair. And you know why we feel that way? Because it's not. It's not fair and it's not meant to be this way. Every single one of us has suffered because of what Satan has done. He's taken over our home. He's placed us in bondage and he's brought death. He brings death to our relationships. He brings death to our reputation. He brings death to our joy, to our hopes and to our dreams. And this is why we read here in verse 4, Well, in verse 2, when the question is asked, is anyone worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Get what's being asked. Hey, is there anyone worthy to take the title deed so that this guy that is sitting on the porch of what belongs to you is thrown out so that the rightful owner can put to right what is so tragically wrong? The question is asked, is there anyone worthy... And verse 3 makes it clear that there ain't nobody who's there to do it. And we have this interesting thing, by the way, that the one who asks the question, verse 2 says, is a strong angel. Now, there's many people who want to speculate about who that strong angel is, but the truth is it's all just a guess. Nobody really knows, and I don't think God wants us to know. In fact, I think that, that that would distract from the picture that God is painting here. Listen, the picture that he's painting is that one very strong, the strong angel steps up and says, in effect, well, I can't open this. I'm not strong enough to do this. Anybody else here strong enough to do this? That's the picture that, that we need to see, that there is, there, there's no one worthy there. To do it, and so this is why John then begins to weep because he's despairing. He's like saying in his heart, This isn't right, it's not fair, and what? Now, like, there's no vindication? And so he begins to weep much, the text says. Interesting, if you wanted to circle that phrase, weep much, nearby you could write, To wail greatly. In, in other words, this isn't, hey, you watch some football movie and, you know, you sort of get a tear in your eye as you're watching. This wailing much is just this, <clears throat> this, 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 this weeping much is just an absolute breakdown. A couple other times this phrase is used in Scripture. One, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Another time it was used when, it was when Peter betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Same word. This is, this is a, a, a wailing. It is a... This is just not right. This is profoundly wrong. Listen, John's tears, they represent the tears of, of so many who have, who have wept over, over the, the wrongs that, that, that have taken place. By the way, interesting trivia question or point. This is the only time you ever see crying in heaven. The only time you ever see anybody crying in heaven. He's weeping greatly because he says, wait a minute, wait, what? Satan has done all this, and he's going to get away with it? And he's weeping, he's wailing. Same tears that Adam and Eve experienced when they were banished from the garden. Same tears that Adam and Eve shed, no doubt, standing at the graveside. Their son Abel, knowing that Cain had murdered, their son had murdered. These bitter tears. The tears that Israel had shed when they were in bondage 
all those years, and just the the bitter tears, certainly of regret, certainly of, of sorrow and shame, but listen, over the injustice of the whole thing. These are the same tears that thousands of Christians over the ages have shed. This isn't right. This is wrong. Satan ripped me off. Satan got a hold of my kid. They're strung out on drugs. They're, they're, they're addicted to alcohol. The, my marriage has been ruined. My, my, just the, it's not right. And haven't you ever done that? Haven't you ever cried out to God? Maybe even this morning you're like, this isn't right. This is wrong. This, uh, God, don't you see? Don't you care? Where's, the, where's my vindication? And so John's weeping over the whole thing. And listen, what I want you to get, because this is the big idea of this chapter, is that there's hope. The big idea of Revelation chapter 5 is, listen, Chin up, eyes to the Lord, because he overcomes. Because we're more than victors in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That, that, that every wrong is going to be righted. It's going to be atoned for. And this is what happens here. John is he's weeping, he's wailing, he's so overwhelmed. But, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scrolls and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Listen, the scene is this, that the world is in dire straits and Satan seems to be prevailing, but the Lamb of God stands in heaven. And I want you to notice this. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but what is it that John sees? He sees the Lamb that was slain. And the implication here is that Jesus will bear his scars into eternity. That we in heaven will look upon him who we pierced. We will see the wounds that he endured for our deliverance, for for our salvation. And those wounds will forever tell us that he has prevailed. That, 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 That yes, he was wronged, but he will be vindicated. Isaiah the prophet said this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, we see him with all these wounds. We see him endure all this stuff. And the temptation might be to say, well, gosh, he had it coming. He was, he was guilty. But he goes on, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep <clears throat> have gone away. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now listen, Isaiah continues, and he says this, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. 
When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and he interceded for the rebels. Listen, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, was slain for you and me. He said, nobody takes my life from it. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. Now we see him, Jesus, standing there And it says that he stands with seven horns and seven eyes. Seven horns and seven eyes. And this is symbolic of his complete power and his absolute knowledge. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he stood up and he's sharing with the Jews that were assembled for Pentecost and talking to them about the Lord. And he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. <clears throat> listen, the man did miracles you sought with your own two eyes. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And we all need to take a walk with that. Because the question was asked when the, 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 the I can't remember the name of the movie, Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ. And this great debate in the news, who killed Jesus? Are you saying that the, that, the, that the Romans killed Jesus? Are you saying the Jews killed Jesus? You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. Our sins killed Jesus. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He is all-powerful. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me, listen, the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And that word joy that Peter quotes in Acts 2.22, in the Hebrew, because he's quoting from Psalm 16 that talks about the joy of, of Jesus' presence in heaven. And in the Hebrew, in Psalm 16, and in the Greek, when Peter quotes it in Acts uh, chapter 2, it speaks of an overwhelming joy. The idea is this, that when we go and we stand before the Lord and we see the Lamb who was slain for us, that the only response that we will have is one of overwhelming joy. Listen, this is a joy where you just... Physically, you shake with joy. Ladies, let me describe it to you this way, if you're a fan of Pride and Prejudice, right? And, and so what happens when Jane finally gets proposed to, what's her response? She says, yes, yes, a thousand times yes, right? 
Just that shaking. Well, yes. And this is what David is describing, this joy in his presence, when you realize, I deserve hell. I deserve death. I deserve damnation. When you think about, this is not fair, and Satan has ruined this world, and he's ripped me off, and he's victimized me, and then all of a sudden, you will stand before the Lord. You will see the one who was pierced for you, and you will say, yes, yes thousand times yes I worship you God because you're worthy of it and this is what we read now continuing verse 8 it says now when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth and then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creature and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. The picture is one of vindication, glory, worship, thankfulness. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes, God, it's you. Amen and amen. That is our hope. And listen, what I want you to notice in closing is that there's, there's two stark contrasts here in Revelation 5. On the one hand, you have this overwhelming joyful worship. You, you, you have a joy that only comes when you behold the Lamb. When you look to Jesus, John the Baptist looking upon Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the joy that comes when you behold the Lamb. Jesus is worthy. He's the Lamb that was slain to take away our sins. He's the one who holds the title deed to earth. And he's the only one who's powerful enough to evict Satan. To overcome Satan's sin and death. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, what do you have in Revelation 5? You have a picture of a weeping that comes when there's no hope. You have a, weep, a picture of a weeping that comes when you, when you think all is lost. Satan has, has won. Listen, you have a weeping that happens when you do not behold the Lord. Jesus said this. He said, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter but will fail. And when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. <clears throat> and then you will say, but we ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see... 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. Listen, get the picture. Because Jesus says, look, what's going to happen if you don't enter the narrow door, which is faith in Jesus Christ, then what's going to happen? You don't behold the lamb. Here's what you will behold when it's too late. You will behold that there are those that get in and there are those that are shut out. And so the question for us today is, what am, what am I beholding? What are you beholding? Look, John in our text here, he's weeping. Does, is John in heaven? Has he been raptured? Yes. Is he a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, he is. But in this picture, he's not beholding the Lamb. We here on earth, the big, the big takeaway from this story is, look, behold the Lamb, place your faith in the Lamb, trust in the Lamb, you will be saved. Place, place all your hope in Him. He's the only one who can vindicate you. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the takeaway for us is this, that so often what happens is I fail to behold the Lamb and it results in me operating in a place of, of doubt, of mournfulness. It changes my whole direction. It changes my whole perspective. And God would say to you today, live a life of yes, yes, a thousand times yes, God. Because that's the hope that we hang our hat on.